We are week two in our series in Acts, so if you're new, welcome. You haven't missed too much. You can go back and listen to the previous one if you want to catch up with where we are, but we are in the series called The House That Jesus Builds, which is really what he's doing, and so today is a really fun section. It's really where our memory verse is, but I'm, I'm excited to get into what we have today. So I remember Eric Yatsumi. He was the largest Japanese man I've ever met in my life. He was probably 6'2", 6'3", and he was large in height, he was large in stature, and one would think that you'd be afraid of a man this large, but what you, if you didn't know him, his heart was even bigger than his size. He was kind, and he was warm, and he was soft-spoken, and he was actually really gentle. And um, it was just fun to get to know him. And as you got to know him, he was super talkative for those that he would call friends. And he was hilarious. I remember he, would, he brought us over to his house and he, he showed us how to flowbe our own hair. And so he showed us how to do that. And then he decided he really wanted to share his culture with us. So he showed us how to sumo wrestle. And like I said, he was a very large man and we were not. And we lost quickly to my large friend, Eric Yatsumi. Now, I met Eric through all my other friends when I was in high school. So I was at one high school, and that school shut down, so I went to another one, and I met some friends, and I had a couple of friends. I didn't have a lot of friends, but Eric was a part of this group, and they all loved basketball. That was their thing. I mean, he was a big guy. All my friends were pretty big guys. They played basketball in junior high and high school, and you may say, well, Simon, you must like basketball, right? Look at me. Just, just look at me. I, 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 am, I, am, I am a short man. I'm just not going to be good at basketball. That's just what it is. But they were my friends, and I wanted to spend time with them. And so I started playing this sport that I didn't know how to play, that I wasn't good at, that I couldn't put the ball in the hoop. And they would laugh at me constantly. And they'd say, you're doing that wrong, and that's a foul, and that's illegal, and you shouldn't do that. But we enjoyed life. And we just did this all the time. And so as we learned to know each other, something happened that camp came up and summer camp had come. And as summer camp had come, we were all super excited to go. Um, we were at a church where we were going to Hume Lake. We go to Hume Lake here. It's a, a fantastic camp and we would look forward to it every single year. And we wanted to go and we wanted to play basketball and we wanted to go swimming in the lake and we wanted to pick up on girls at the, and get milkshakes and we wanted to play frisbee golf. We wanted to do all that stuff. But there was this problem that Eric wasn't a Christian, not a believer. And, but we liked him a lot and we really enjoyed spending time with him. And he had come to a couple of things here and there at the church. And so like, man, we, we really want... We want Eric to be a part of this trip to go on. And so, you know, what better way to get thrown in the fire than going to a week-long camp? And so we said, hey, you want to go to camp with us? And he said, yes. And it was so much fun. And so all week long, we goofed around and we laughed a lot and we enjoyed life. And if you know anything about Hume Lake, everything's very structured in how they do things. And Wednesday night, they have the big gospel presentation. And, you know, we're like, oh, this is going to be it. Eric's going to come. Then he didn't. We're like, oh, and so now it's Thursday, and you know, if you know anything about Thursday, Thursday is really kind of the last day before you like, you know, you get Friday, but it's like all these things happen, and then Saturday you just drive off. So you really only had one day left, and we had just finished the morning session, and we had finished lunch, and we had done rec, and I just really felt like God had put on my heart 
to go share my small little faith with Eric. I'm like, well, he hadn't responded. And I mean, the, the pro went up there and he couldn't seal the deal. What am I going to do? Like, I'm just this, ju- this you know, junior in, in high school. And I said, uh, okay. So I just, I got up the gumption. I'm like, I'm going to go to the cabin and, you know, who's going to be in there? It's going to be, all the dudes are going to be in there. I'm like, hey, you want to go for a walk, dude? And that was going to be weird. I'm like, I didn't want to do that. And so <laughs> you got to think about these things as you're building the scenario out. And I remember I, I'm like, oh, he got And I opened the door, and Eric was the only guy in the room. He was just kind of taking a, kind of a, a break for the day because, you know, there's a lot going on, and he's just kind of resting and hanging out. And I was like, oh, hey, man, so what would you think about last night? And, you know, and in this really pathetic way, I'm like, let me tell you about Jesus. And I proceeded to share Jesus with my friend Eric. And... Um, I told him, you know, that Jesus is the son of God and, you know, he came from heaven to earth and, and he, he lived a perfect life and, and he went to the cross in our stead and he died for us so we wouldn't have to endure the wrath of God for sin. And, and you know, then he rose again three days later and he gives us his righteousness and I'm like trying to like fumble through this, this gospel presentation and, um, and then I share like, you know, I, I did this and this is what God's done in my life. And then there's this moment with every salesman, right? You gotta like, you gotta be the closer. You gotta get to a point where you're like, do you wanna buy my product? And so I was on autopilot and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta ask. And I'm like, and anyone who calls in the name of Jesus can be saved. Would you like to do that <laughs> right now? And he, and he was quiet the whole time. He hadn't said anything. And I'm like, oh boy. And he's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, ah. and I had never shared my faith before. This is the first time I've ever done it. And, and I was like, I don't, oh, okay. And so we, we prayed in that moment. And I remember, you know, he just prays like, God, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for me. I love you. It wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't anything amazing. And in that moment, he surrendered his life to Jesus and so we prayed, and then there's that awkward moment where you're done. You're like, so, uh, high five? Like, I, what do we do? And so I'm like, well, I'm going to go back to my cabin, get ready, and then we'll meet up for something. And so here's the crazy part. I'm walking out of the cabin, and the youth pastor, Tom Kirkendall, was walking towards the cabin. And he's like, hey, Simon, how's it going? Um, is Eric in there? I'm like, yeah. As a matter of fact, I just shared the gospel, and he came to Jesus. He's like, and he was like all bummed out. He's like, what? Because he was on his way to go share Jesus with Eric. And I'm like, hey, your services aren't needed here. I'm deuces. And I left. And so it was this weird moment. Like, why are you sharing this bizarre story, Simon? Like, of you sharing with Jesus and you sharing with Eric Yitsumi because of this. This is what Jesus is going to call his disciples to do in this very passage. And this is what he's calling all of us to do. And again, as we said last week, God takes imperfect people to do his will so he'll receive glory. And that's exactly what he wants to do as he starts the church. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts 1. We're going to be in 6 through 11 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in front of the seats right, right underneath. You can grab those. If you don't have a Bible, take one of those. Please take it. Gift to you. If you are like, I am not good at navigating the Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. You'll be able to 
follow along to make sure that I'm not making anything up. So Acts 1, 6 through 11 says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we thank you for this passage as, as we see really what you've called us to do, as you've given us your command, your, 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 your charge, your, your military charge to us of what you want us to do in this world. I ask that we would see it as something that you have called us to because you love us and you care for us and you're including us in your mission Lord, I ask is that we open uh, this up, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear you, to understand you, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And Holy Spirit, as I always pray, I ask that you would just get me out of the way, that if there's things that I should not be saying, take them from my notes and my mind and my mouth. If there's something that needs to be said to someone here today who needs to hear a word from you, that you would just allow me to be a conduit that you would speak through freely to bring truth and encouragement and hope to someone who needs that. I love you. Pray these things in your glorious name. Amen. So last uh, week, we got into the section where Jesus is there, and he starts encouraging all the believers. And, and, and I just want to side note really quick, um, the church does different things, and there seems to be a holiday for everything, right? Like, uh, there's just always something. It's like, it's National Panda Day. I'm like, what? I don't even know what that means. But last week was National Pastor Appreciation Day, and I didn't even know it. I'm like, I don't know. Um, and most people don't. But a lot of you send a lot of cards. And you sent a lot of encouragement to me. And as a new pastor who's trying to figure out what it means to lead the congregation and, and to love you the best that I can, I got a lot of cards and a lot of encouragement. I just want to say, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful that God called us here, and I'm so grateful that we live in this city. So thank you so much for your encouragement. So I preached on encouragement. I got encouraged, so thank you. We're all listening to Jesus. Um, so where we are today is we're going to be pulling from some different books, uh, and we're not going to jump around a lot today. I, I kind of want to stay rooted in the passage that we're in. So as I, you're like, I don't see that in here. A lot of what I'm pulling from is going to be the end of uh, the Gospels, so they, they overlap a lot. So you'll see some of those connecting dots as I kind of bring those together. So if you're wondering where those come from, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go to the back. You'll see as Jesus ascends that there'll be different sections that kind of talk about different things. And that's really where I'm gathering that information from. So we find that Jesus takes all of these individuals up to uh, the Mount of Olives. Now that's in Bethany, right? So that's two miles east of Jerusalem. You can go there today. You can go to the Mount of Olives. And if you go up there, it's got this crazy view that you can see. And the only reason I know is because I looked it up online and I saw the pictures from there. I haven't been there yet. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. And so what happened is if you read the Bible, you know the Bible. Jesus did a lot of ministry there. 
that is where Mary and Martha lived. So when they were there and, you know, Mary was running around doing stuff and Mar- Martha was running around doing stuff and, and Mary sits down to hear the teaching of Jesus, that's where that took place. Uh, Lazarus was there and so he lived there. So when Jesus went to go raise Lazarus from the dead, that's where that was at. Uh, the story of Simon the leper, he was healed there. So a lot of ministry took place around that area and it was really close to Jerusalem, so it was kind of a central hub. So it makes sense that the apostles are all kind of in that area. There's places to stay. A lot of people who were following Christ were there at that time in that area, so that kind of makes sense. And as they're there, they go up to this mountain. And so the first thing that we see in verse six seems like it doesn't make sense. So they're walking up to the Mount of Olives, and this is what's said. It says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Seems like that seems like such a random question to ask. Now, picture what's going on. They're going up to the Mount of Olives, and you can actually oversee all of the city of Jerusalem. You can still see it today. So you can get up there and you can see it. So here you have Jesus who died was crucified, raised from the dead, coming to free his people. The Savior is there, and behind him is the city of Jerusalem. And so there's like this, well, yeah, this is the guy who conquers sin and death, and there's the city that we love, the city that we know, God's holy city. All of a sudden, this question is like, okay, we're doing this. This is going to happen now. Well, he is their king. That city does need to be redeemed. But there's a couple of problems here. The first problem is that they were short-sighted. They were very short-sighted that they still had the same idea of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were looking for someone to come and save them, but what were they wanting saving from? The Romans. See, they believed that the real problem, the real oppression, the real issue going on was these Romans that were putting their thumb down on them. And they're like, if we could just get rid of the Romans, that would take care of the problem. See, and Jesus is like, you're so short-sighted. Like, the reason why the Romans do what they do, the reason why they treat us the way they treat us, the reason why they can be so ruthless is because of a bigger problem, which is sin. He's like, you guys are looking at, like, fruit. I'm talking about the root. I'm going to get down to the area where I'm going to make sure that I'm going to change them in such a way to where they're going to live differently and think differently. And so what they're asking is, when are you going to make Israel a superpower again? When are you going to bring Israel back to the time of King David and King Solomon when we were the guys? We were like, no one messed with us because we'd squash them. And that's really what they wanted. The other problem is this. They thought that Jesus wasn't leaving. They're like, he's back. It's about to go down. Like they, they are, he's here. He's here for good. How do we know that? Will you at this time? See, the, if, he, if he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel, will you be the one to do it? So they really believed that he was going to be the one to do it. He was going to be the one that was going to take care of business. See, they couldn't see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture has always been this. It's always been more than just Israel. Always. Even from the beginning. We see it. Genesis 12. You want to go and you want to read that story. This is where you see that God lays out his big plan. I am going to pick you, Abraham, and you're going to have a bunch of kids, and your offspring is going to grow, and you are going to be a blessing to the world. 
See, it was always his plan that he was going to bless the world. It was always his desire that all would come to know the God of the universe that loves them and cares for them and protects them and provides for them. And Jesus does a couple of things here. Um, and I, and I, Jesus is just so kind. Because he'd be like, you guys are dumb. Like, let me tell you all again why you're stupid. And he could have like gone off. I'm like, oh, no. He is he is kind and he is loving and he is gentle. Yes, he corrects them. Yes, there's a little bit of a rebuke there, but he does it in a way where he sees it as an opportunity to teach them how God sees the world. And that's what Jesus is gonna do. Think about that when you talk with someone and you get to have a chance to teach them or correct them. Are you going to do it like Jesus? Are you gonna do it a different way? See, we can always represent Jesus in everything and we have that opportunity. So what he does, he's going to teach them, and, and, and I, there's this fascination with end times. Um, you know, Kirk Cameron shows up, he's like, hey, here's how it's going to be. We, we always care about how it's going to end and what's going to happen, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this. I have talked to a number of people that always say, I know when it's going to happen. I've figured it out. I've done the math. I've read the scriptures. I've broke it down, and I'm like, you're wrong, and they give me books. And I have a number of books on my shelf that says, this is when he's coming back. By the way, they're old books. <laughs> and it didn't happen when they, oh, I forgot to move a decimal point. I've heard that before. I'm like, you're dumb. Like, no one knows. The, the Bible's very clear that no one knows the time and when this is going to happen. So why do you think you would? But we have this fascination. And there's nothing wrong with studying it, right? There's nothing wrong with reading your Bible and knowing what it says. But if it becomes your focal point... If it becomes your obsession, as a matter of fact, Satan's one. If that's all you can think about, Satan's one. And I'll get there in a second as to why he's one, if that's where you are. But what Jesus is trying to say is that you're focused on the wrong thing. There's something more important that I want you to be focused on. There's something more important that I want you to spend your energy on. There's something more to this world that you're not understanding, that you're not seeing, that if you're just looking for this end thing, like there's something that I want you to do. And he tells them in verse seven, he says this, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. And it's interesting, as I was studying this and reading through the original text, um, you can translate this a little bit differently. It comes across a little bit harsher is what he would say is that um, you could read it as, you do not have the right to know. It's above your pay scale. That's what he said. Like, you don't need to know because you're not a part of what's going to be happening and who's doing it. It's over your pay scale. It's not for you. You could even maybe translate it into, you are not permitted to know. Because God's sovereign. And because God has already determined when this is going to happen, that he has said it, that he is over all things. So don't worry about those things because God's already doing it. And then verse eight has this great start. It says, but. Now, that's a conjunction. Um, and I share that as if I'm really smart because I had to look it up this week and make sure I understood what English does and how English works. I've done it a couple times a week. So I, you know, I, I go to Schoolhouse Rocks and conjunction, junction, what's your function? And so I figured out what it is. Like that's how I, you know, you're like, how do you learn? I watch cartoons. So I'm your pastor. Um, 
A conjunction, what it means is used to introduce a statement and add something to a previous statement that usually contrasts it with in some way. Okay, so there's a contrast. So the word but is, it's talking about something, but it's adding something new that's going to add a contrast to that idea. What did we just talk about? The idea to restore the kingdom, and more specifically, the kingdom of Israel. But he's talking about this kingdom. And so what's going to happen is he's going to jump off of that. He's going to build off of this restoring the kingdom idea, and the contrast is going to revolve around Israel, and that it's more and bigger than and more inclusive than what they're thinking. That's really where he's going with that. And it says that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now, the word power in this passage is defined this way, and it'll be up there for you to see that uh, uh, possession of controlling influence often understood as manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural manner. Okay, so what's that mean? That there's going to be something about this power that's going to give us some kind of influence and it's going to manifest as we pertain to the supernatural things that are happening. So that's what we're talking about with this power that we're going to get. But you may ask the question, power to do what? To like to fly, to shoot lasers out of my eyes. Like what's this power gonna do? I'm excited about this. Can I like talk to dead people? Like what, what do we do with it? Well, it tells us. And what I've come to find If you slow down and you just read the Bible slowly, most of the answers are right there. It will tell you what the power is for. And it's in the same sentence. If we just slow down, and it's, it's a key passage to understand the Holy Spirit's role in our life and why we have the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's going to do with this power. And what does it say? That we would be his witness. We are receiving power from the Holy Spirit so that we would become witnesses. That's why we have it. That's the purpose of it. As we talked about last week, the role of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus in all things. The Holy is not to bring glory to the Holy Spirit. It's to bring glory and honor to Jesus. That is his role. That's what he does. Now, what is a witness? Someone who sees an event and reports what happens. I'm not doing the event. I didn't do the thing that took place. I'm just reporting on what I saw and what happened. That's really what a witness is. And, and, and for me, I love it because it's, it's, it's not up to me. It takes all the pressure off. I'm just, be, I'm just, I say it all the time, I'm just delivering the mail. That's what I'm doing. I'm just delivering the mail to you. Someone else did the work. Someone else wrote the letter. Someone else came up with the plan. Now, I will say this. There are better ways to deliver the mail than others. You're like, well, if God's sovereign and he's, there are better ways to deliver the mail, to show who Jesus is when you talk to someone, when you show love, when you talk about sin, when you talk about death, when you talk about hell. There is a way that you can talk about these things as a witness of who Jesus is and not put up more walls. Now, God's the one who does the work, but there is a way that shows Jesus in everything that we do. And we're called to represent Jesus. We're called to be image bearers of him. And I have seen so many people with good intentions, share in such a way that is so harmful and so destructive and just 
mean? I'm like, whoa, how do you see Jesus doing that? So I just, I want you to hear that there's a way to bring the mail. Let's bring the mail the right way. Now, this idea of being witnesses, it makes sense for the disciples, doesn't it? Well, why does it make sense for the disciples? They spent three years of their life with him. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They watched Jesus do miracles. They watched Jesus cast out demons. They watched Jesus raise people from the dead. They watched Jesus weep. They watched Jesus walk on water. They watched the transfiguration. They saw all this stuff. And it's saying, be a witness. And they're like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. Why? Because they, it wasn't Aunt Sally's third cousin who lives in this other area who saw this thing and was there. No, they were there. Eyewitnesses. They're like, no, I was there. I saw it. Like, this happened. Like, we had a bunch of, we had, we had some fish, we had some crackers, and suddenly we had a bunch of bread and a, a, a bunch of fish. It was crazy. Shouldn't have been there. Like, that's the difference. It makes sense. Like, of course they're going to be a witness. They saw it all. First-hand reporting. So what do we do? I wasn't there. I didn't see that stuff happen. How can I be a witness? If I'm supposed to report the events of something that's happened, how can I do that? I wasn't there. I, I, I didn't have the ability to see these amazing events take place. Well, I think that this is where we need to start understanding what's going on. I think many Christians are, can be confused about this. I think they've kind of, they don't understand what's really going on, that we are to report what Jesus has done in our life. Jesus transforms people. Jesus changes people. He gives us new hearts. He takes dead people and he makes them alive. He makes lost people and he makes them found. See, but we, we get stuck in these weird things like we are, we're, we're to report the gospel. How has the gospel changed me? Like, man, I used to be a, a lying, manipulative, rude, selfish um, lustful young man. I'd like to think that those things have gotten less. Right? As he's worked in my heart, as he's transformed me who I am, he's changed me. I had this talk with my brother not too long ago. We were having a conversation. He made some comment. I'm like, dude, that's not me anymore. And, and there was someone was like, yeah, I, I guess that was when you were a kid. Could we do that, right? Like, I'm different now. I don't, I don't live that way. I don't think that way. I don't talk that way anymore. There's a difference to who we are. As Jesus changes us, we will look different. But here's the problem. It seems like today that Christians don't look any different than the culture around them, do they? We want the things that the world wants. Oh, this person's popular. This person has more influence. This person, uh, people like them when they say this thing. So I'm going to say that thing because I want to be loved. I want to be desired. I want to be popular. I want to have influence over others. Like I've watched, I mean, if you look at the arts, the arts used to be all revolving around Jesus and the Bible and all these artistic expressions. And now that's nothing. And it's, it's all this other stuff. Like music, like all this creative music that's come. And now we're just copying whatever's popular so it'll get on the radio. Ever think about that? What are you trying to be? 
Do you look different? Do you have a different message? Like when you respond, think about this. Like the world looks at how we live and it sees it and it wants to know, why do you live that way? Why are you doing that? Like this person wronged you, this person's hurt you and you should hold a grudge for the rest of your life. But you know what I'm seeing? You just forgave that person. Why would you forgive that person who's wronged you? You were in the right. They were in the wrong. How can you do that? Because we look different, because we're new people. We become more like Christ. We don't look different. And so what we do is we start to do, well, I'll I'll be a witness to history. And we do this thing, and I'm like, this is so uncompelling. Like, Jesus was a man. He came to earth, and he died for our sins, and you too can have this forgiveness. Would you like that? Yeah, I'm in. (laughs) But when you share with someone how like, I was so broken and I was so lost and I was in such a dark place, I didn't even realize how lost I was and that Jesus came into my life and he freed me from this bondage, whatever that bondage is that you're dealing with, whatever that thing is that you're stuck in, whatever that thing that you can't seem to break free of, Jesus has freed you from that. That's the power that Christ has to conquer the sin in your life, to bring you freedom. There's something different about it. I'm not saying, like, you don't have to be eloquent. But you just got to talk about what God's done in your life. Or are you a witness to your life change? Do you do that? Do you share the life change of who you are? Because my question today is, have you been transformed? Do you have anything to report? Do you have anything to be a witness of? Well, then Jesus is going to lay out the plan. He said, this is what it's going to look like. Now, remember, they're on this hill. They're on the hilltop. They're overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and he paints this great picture. He says, I want you to take this message to that city. And they're like, yeah, that's our city. Those are our people. That's our family. Yes, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and we're going to, we're going to preach this message, and we're going to see God work, and it's going to be amazing. He's like, yeah. And Judea is like, well, okay. yeah, yeah, and Judea. Of course, Judea. I mean, they're just a little south of us, like totally. Our people, they all get it, same boat. Yeah, okay, Judea too. Jerusalem and Judea. Got it, Jesus. And Samaria. Well, like up north, like those guys? And if you were here a few weeks ago, we did the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that would make a lot more sense. But like, really, these, like, these half-Jew kind of guys that are not really in, and they're not really out, and they're kind of like this weird cousin that we don't want to talk about all the time. Like, you want us to go to them? Like, we don't like them. They're kind of, they're sinners. So yeah, them too. It's like, well, okay, I mean, I, I guess they're kind of connected to us, so... Okay, we'll go there too. We'll go there. We'll go to Samaria as well. We'll do them as well. We'll, we'll take care of it. It's like, and the ends of the earth. And they're like, whoa, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Those people aren't even Jewish, even half Jewish. They would have no compartment for this. We're God's chosen people. God's going to save us. Why would he save the rest of the world? Like, those are the Gentiles. They are sinners. They are dirty. They are unclean. There's nothing that you would want. God, you don't want it. Not there. And he's saying, you, you don't understand. You don't understand God's love because God's love doesn't stop anywhere. It does not stop for borders, 
does not stop for race. It does not stop for wealth. It does not stop for language. It does not stop for status. It doesn't even stop on their own inability to love. It just pushes out and you can't stop it. And he's saying, this is going to go everywhere. This is the plan that I have choose to save the world, that you would be my witnesses and show them who I look like and what I do and my message. Now, if I could go back a verse or two, because I will. In verse eight, <clears throat> they say, it says this, and this is where I think it's really, it was just interesting as I looked at it, because the first question said, when will you restore? And then this thing happens where he answers, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Do you see what he's doing? He's like, I'm going to be with the Father. You got work to do. You're going to be the ones to actually do this work. We will be the vessels to go out and to find those lost men and women that are part of his kingdom all across the world. And then there's this crazy big mic drop. He's like, oh, I'm going to float away. And then he goes up into a cloud. It's like, what just happened? Us? What does that mean? Like, I can't do it. He's like, I know. That's why you're going to have power from the Holy Spirit to allow you to do it. And there's a lot going on. The cloud has representation in the Bible that it usually envelops the presence of God. So we see that at uh, Mount Sinai when the cloud surrounds the mountain and there's fire and the voice of God comes out that God was there on the mountain. Uh, with the tabernacle, we'd see that when God's presence was in the tabernacle, that there'd be a pillar of cloud that would be over the tabernacle, and at night it would be a pillar of fire. When God would lead them to the next place to go, that cloud would move forward, and they would follow the cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night. And then when we see, when Jesus goes through his transfiguration, that this cloud envelops them, and then the voice of God speaks. There's all these signs. So where is Jesus? The presence of God. That's where he is going. That's what he's doing. Mark 16 would tell us that if you look at that in Mark 16 and 19, it says, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. See, Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's sitting right next to him. He's our advocate. He is completely understands what it means to be human fully. So he understands everything that we go through, everything we've dealt with, every part of who we are. Yet he is fully God, so he understands God and who he is and how he deals with that. And he becomes our advocate and he talks to God on who we are. Like this, this is, my blood has covered them. They are yours. They are chosen. They have placed their faith in me, that they are a child of the most high God. And as we confess our sins, that he is faithful to forgive us, as it says in 1 John, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So he is there at the right hand of God, being an advocate for us, bringing our prayers to the Father. That's what he's doing. And these disciples are just looking up, and they're like, what is going on? And these two men show up dressed in white, and that is always an indication that these are angels, or they're in white robes or shining gowns. And they look up and they say, men of Galilee, what are you doing? What are you looking at, guys? Like, why are you looking up in the sky? 
says, why do you stand looking into the heavens? And then Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And I am not going to get into this, because in a room this size, there are a lot of opinions about end times and what's going to happen and when he's going to come back and pre-trib and post-trib and amillennial and there's a, there's a tribulation and, oh man, rapture. Like, there's all these things. Here's what I want to do. Don't get distracted. Jesus is saying, don't get distracted. Know your Bible. Understand what it says. That's good stuff to know. He wrote about it, so it's important. Don't get distracted. Because here's something that we all need to understand. And all those different little groups I just talked about all agree upon one thing. He's coming back. Okay? So, don't worry about how it's all going to play out. What I need you to do is be about what I've commanded you to do. See, it's not a, hey, I got a great suggestion for you. You should think about maybe doing this from time to time. No, it's a command from God of what that we need to be doing, and we need to take the name of Jesus forward to be his witness, how he's transformed our lives, and how he's changing the world. As I think about my friend Eric Yatsumi, I'm amazed that God would choose me and give me power from the Holy Spirit to witness to him. I mean, that message... It transformed me. It transformed him. He's from Japan, so he took that to his parents, and his parents got to hear that, and the grandparents got to hear that. Like, it went to the ends of the earth. That's crazy. I was so scared, by the way. I was so scared to share. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Is he going to? Is he going to reject me? Is he going to laugh at me? Is he going to like attack me? He's a big dude. Like, is he just going to be like, I don't want anything to do with you? Like, the friendship's over. I don't even remember exactly what I said and how I said it. But as I think about that, I realize that it was the Holy Spirit speaking through me, using me to be a part of His plan to save the world. And let's get really real: to save my friend Eric who still loves the Lord and is serving in the church. And here's something I want you to understand. It has nothing to do with what I did. It wasn't about the words that I used. I fumbled through them. I probably misquoted scripture half the time. See, if it was up to me to save lives, then we'd be in trouble. (laughs) See, God knows who he's going to save, that he has all of them, that he's predestined who he's going to save because he loves them and cares them. And there's something that a fouled person like myself is going to do to screw that up. And how do I know that? Because Tom Kirkendall was walking down the path coming to the cabin to share Jesus. Eric was going to come to know Jesus that day. If it wasn't going to be me, if I chickened out, I'm like, oh, I'm, I, can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. He already had someone else coming. And it wasn't until this week that I put this two together that God loved me enough to let me be a part of that. God loves you enough to allow you to be a part of what he's doing to save the world. And because of that, it strengthened my faith. And because of that, I got to see another person come to know Jesus. Because that that started a trajectory in my life that caused me to be wanting to share Jesus all the time. The more I see people come to know Jesus, the more I want to share Jesus because the more I want to see people saved. And he has called each and every one of us that claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior to go out and to be witnesses about what he's done so more men and women will be saved.
That's what he's called us to do. That's what he's doing. And, he, and I love that he, he's like, you can't do it alone, so I'm going to take care of it. But here's the thing, and, and I've said this a bunch, and, and, and I'll get there, but think about this. You ever ask somebody, why, why did Jesus come into the world? Now, I've asked that question a bunch from people, and I get very interesting answers all across the board. But you know the great part is? He tells us. He tells us exactly why he came into the world. And as I was studying this week, I thought, this is a great thing for us to understand. In John 18, 37, Jesus says exactly why he came. That's the second part of 37. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. That's the question. Why did Jesus have to come? There's the question. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Why did Jesus come? To bear witness to the truth. And so you might ask the same question that Pilate asked. What did Pilate ask after that question was thrown to him? What is truth? Well, he tells us. <laughs> Jesus is like, I-, I got an answer for that too. He actually talked about it early on in John 14, verse 6. He says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is the truth? It is the message of Jesus Christ that he comes to save men and women that place their hope in him for salvation. He is a witness to salvation for those that are lost and far from God. What are we called to be? Witnesses. Jesus will never ask us to do something that he hasn't already done perfectly himself. I'm going to say that a bunch, all the time. Who is Jesus calling you to witness to? Who is is Jesus put in front of you? Who does he want you to talk about, about him? And then I would ask this question, what are you a witness to? Has God changed you from the inside out? Has he made you a new man? Has he made you a new woman? And I would say this, if, if you've never heard the message of Jesus and knowing that he has saved you from an eternity of his wrath and punishment and separation, that you are here today not by coincidence, that God has brought you here to hear that message, and my prayer would be that today would be the day that you would bow a knee to Jesus and do what Eric did so many years ago and say, yeah, I want that. <laughs> And if that's you today, I'm going to be around today, and I would love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. And maybe you've been around church your whole life, and you're like, I don't, I have never experienced this, Simon. You know, you're like, it'd be embarrassing for me to be like, I guess I've never really submitted to Jesus. I've never really loved him. I'd rather you be embarrassed for five minutes and be with Jesus for eternity. Okay. That's the, that's the enemy lying to you, saying, well, you can't do that. You don't want people to think weird about you. No, it's okay. We all need Jesus. We need him. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move in time of communion. Jesus, I thank you for this message this morning. I thank you that you've just pressed on me as I even got to share this week with someone who came into my office and just get to ask them hard questions and, and talk about who you are and what you're doing and 
you know, every time we do this, there's just so much to it. And so I ask that uh, you would empower us, that you would change us, that we would be witnesses to who you are and what you're doing, what you've done in our lives and, and who you are, that we wouldn't just talk about historical facts, so that's important to talk about, but if it's not matched with life change, then what has it really done to us? Let us be different. Let us be more like you. Let us respond in a way that the world doesn't know what to do with. Let us bring the hope that as we make relationships with friends and coworkers and colleagues and wherever we may be, that we can bring the truth of who you are. We love you. We pray these things in your glory. It's an amazing name. Amen.